Come in, damn it. You're sure a punctual bastard. Welcome to the podcast at Orgy Castle. Sit back, darling, and enjoy with your hosts, Derek and Paula. Welcome to another episode of podcast at Orgy Castle Degenerates. We're back talking about Russ Meyer this week with Mud Honey. And of course, Paul and I have brought back Mr. Gonzarific himself, Andrew Shearer. Say hello to the Degenerates. Hi, Degenerates. Hey, I'm I'm uh, I'm here in the actual South, and we're here to talk about a Hick movie. Hicksploitation is on the menu tonight. And Paula, had you seen Mud Honey before? No, this is my first shot with Mud Honey. This actually, Andrew, shockingly enough, was my first foray into Mud Honey as well. Bruh. So this was a, a completely raw new experience for both of us because I went to, into this movie expecting something completely different than what I got. You this were, was you were expecting a lot more boobs is what you were expecting. I was expecting a traditional Russ Meyer movie, and boy, oh boy, did I not get <laughs> what i thought i was going to get um andrew do you want to tell the listeners what's the plot of mud honey if you could summarize it real quick oh yeah okay so mud honey takes place in uh the great depression in a small rural town called spooner the plot is about this kind of ex-con that comes through looking for work and he gets a job at this farm but oh he becomes enemy number one of this guy named sydney sydney is like an alcoholic bastard he just all he's doing is waiting for his wife's uncle to die so they can get the farm. He can get all the money. And dude, when this when this new guy comes into town, he just he's already sucks. But he starts. I mean, evil, not even a piece of hell breaks loose. Just every piece. It just falls apart. Everything. Sydney is hell on yeah. Earth. This dude is just a piece of absolute human garbage walking around, making everyone's life a living hell. His wife has the sweetest old man who brings in this uh, grifter, uh, Caliph, uh, who just got out of prison for reasons that we don't find out until way later in the movie. And Sydney is going around cheating on his his wife at a local, quote-unquote, backwoods whorehouse, you would call it, drinking all the time and beating his wife. And he is just an absolute pile of fucking garbage. Paula... When we were watching this movie, you had some definite thoughts on Mr. Sidney. What did you think of this dude? God, no, he was amazing. And of course, I had to go look him up. His portrayal, everybody's in this, was everybody's acting in this, I thought was absolutely spectacular considering what they were doing. But Hal Hopper, this was a much more male-driven movie. It was much more about the men. The women were a little more like throw pillows for the most part, mm-hmm. as opposed to like them being the centerpieces and the powerhouses of the future movies. But it reminded me very much. It was like Russ Meyer did Tennessee Williams. And I fucking love Tennessee Williams. And it specifically reminded me of Baby Doll. Um, Alia Kazan, 1956, with Carl Malden and Eli Wallach and Carol Baker. Have you seen that one? Mm-hmm. Southern, Southern Gothic pot boiler, just a lot like this one was. So that's kind of what the vibe that I was getting off of this, and I love Southern Gothic pot boiler, so I thought it was spectacular. But Hal Hopper, who's from Oklahoma City, by the way, was intense. He was intense as fuck. He was, I wouldn't say Satan Unleashed, because you know I love Lucifer, but he was hell on earth. <laughs> there, it reminded me of a story, one of those unsolved mysteries, where there was a dude who was just out in a small town terrorizing everybody. Terrorizing his wife, his family, everyone. I mean, just being a horrible, 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 just like, just like this guy. 
And then one day he got shot and nobody ever confessed to the murder. And it was in a, it was in a public place. There were shit tons of people. They're like a supermarket parking lot or something like that, or a bar parking lot. Like 40 people saw what happened. Nobody ever snitched. And so that's enough. That kind of reminded me of that like cross with baby doll. This guy was just a fucking monster. And you know, he gets the preacher on his side and it, it really, uh, I don't want to go into too many like allegories or analogies or whatever but it really with the super crazy ass preacher defending the horrible behavior of a monstrous white man was just kind of um telling of american culture which russ meyer does really well in some of his movies but this was definitely i sydney was sydney was a monster and seeing what happened to him the way this movie built up in the ending was really gratifying this movie was very gratifying for me it wasn't as smutty as I would have liked. And there were just, you know, flashes of some beautiful breasts and the women were not predominant or powerful, but seeing a man like Sydney happen to him, what happens to him and the preacher too. Yeah. I liked that. I liked that. I like, I liked that um, the baddies got punished. There's definitely a huge disparity between the women and the men in this movie, as you yeah. said, but yeah. the men were all powerhouse actors in mm-hmm. this movie. Stuart Lancaster as the old man, Hell Hopper, as you had said, and John Furlong. I thought John Furlong did a great job with a character that, honestly, he had to kind of just be, you know, the everyman most of this movie and deal with Hell Hopper punching him in the face repeatedly over and over and over again. Andrew, do you think this is probably some of the best male acting in in some of Russ Meyer's movies that you've seen? I mean, yeah. I mean, back back in this period, definitely, you know, um, because... Uh, did you guys see Lorna already? I've not seen Lorna, no. Mm-mm. Okay, well, Hal Hopper's also the villain in Lorna, and this still wouldn't be right before this. Um, Lorna Maitland, who is... Um, Clarabelle. Yeah, the one daughter that, that talks, um, she is Lorna in that movie, and this is like this, the, last, the second and last movie that they did together. But Hal Hopper is a bastard in that, and this is like a build from that. He's even worse in this movie. But wow. I but I, yeah, I liked them. I, and I liked the, what I feel like Russ Meyer was saying uh, with them all too. And, uh, you know, the having it be kind of like, yeah, like Southern Gothic could have pulpy or what almost like neo noir, the, the whole tough guy thing. I thought it kind of took that apart a little bit too. Yeah, it did break it down, especially with Caliph's, uh, John Furlong's character, who is kind of this man of mystery most of the time. I mean, it's that typical conceit where you know the mysterious man comes in and is trying to run away from his past and slowly but surely he wants to try and you know make a better life for himself after he gets out of jail and we start to find out who he really was but underneath it all he has the heart of gold you know and the relationship between uh Stuart Lancaster the dad and John Furlong I thought was surprisingly deep and actually quite touching in yeah. a way I wasn't expecting from the beginning of this. When the movie begins, it is just this nonstop like assault of editing and, and sound and dialogue. It is just like a, someone has a machine gun shooting mm-hmm. for the first five minutes of this movie. And then it slows down to a crawl where it's just this southern drama where I was not expecting the the level of emotion to happen from the beginning because the beginning is much more of a traditional Russ Meyer movie where I'm just like, okay, well, here's the poppy Russ Meyer that we all know. And then when it gets to 
uh, loot and Caliph, you know, kind of growing to love one another, uh, the dad and the drifter. I was quite amazed <laughs> by these guys. And I mean, we haven't gotten to the actresses yet, but I have to say out of all the movies, I was really surprised by the male leads in this movie. They, so. were, all, they were all spectacular. They were, they were, they were all really good. The, um, what's his name? Stuart Lancaster. He was the old man in faster pussycat, right? Yeah. So yeah, I love seeing him play such a different role because Faster Pussycat was the following year, I believe. And so this was, and it was interesting to see him because whenever I think of him, I think of you know Faster Pussycat. But yeah, I mean, so it was interesting to me to see him in such uh, such a profoundly different role and the depths of emotion that they got to in this movie. It was really good, but it was predominantly about men. Oh, it, it, it definitely was, it was, was. It wasn't a girl power movie. It was definitely a. Uh, a male a male type deal and and uh you know like the the fraternity between the pastor the reverend the crazy ass fucking reverend i still don't understand what happened to him in the whorehouse when he comes out screaming about sodom and gomorrah who got fucked in the ass nobody okay because i was really confused as to what happened with him and eula in there eula was lovely by the way i loved her with her black kitten now no my favorite though was the the madam her, her real name was Princess something. Yeah, Maggie Marie. Ma- uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. She was, a, she was. I guess, what would she be the comic relief in this movie? Because there were some rough fucking scenes in this movie. I mean, seriously, like domestic abuse and some rape. I mean, because obviously Sydney goes back and forth from the whorehouse. And when they humiliate him at the whorehouse, he goes home drunk and beats his wife, who mm-hmm. lives with Uncle Lute. That's what it was. It was her uncle. And but nobody will do anything about him. And then, you know, the drifter comes in town and Hannah, the name of the wife. Yeah, she and Kelly fall in love. And you got the whole town gossip bullshit that plays a huge part. There's just so many. I mean, yeah, it's definitely very gothic. But this to me was the most emotionally profound. It was very, it was very melodramatic. It was much more of a drama than anything else. Yeah, it was much more of a drama. I wouldn't call this a smut movie. It had violence and it was steamy and it was sleazy. But this was a drama. This was a melodrama. Yeah, the huge difference I thought was that split between the male characters and the female characters. Now, we've talked about the male characters. Let's talk about the female characters, which are mostly relegated to, you know, the battered wife. And hookers. And hookers. And and a madam. Mm -hmm. And and the preacher's wife, who is, you know, an upstanding citizen, but deep down. Still hot. She's still hot. <laughs> yeah, deep down, she wants she wants to get a little dirty and get a little strange, but she doesn't want to come out and say it. <laughs> so, uh, Andrew, when, when we split the two genders in this movie, what do you think of the female characters in this movie? As much as the story seems to be about the men, I tend to watch Russ Meyer's movies in order or think about them in relation to one another, about when they were done. And to me, the poorhouse or house of prostitution, whatever you want to call it, this is the place in this movie where the women are running shit. And this is the, the where in this movie the Russ Meyer women are and where their power is. And if you look at how the men behave when they're inside of it, mm-hmm. everyone is jealous of the way that they live. The whole movie is about sexual repression and about how human instinct to procreate and to create life crashes into its instinct to kill and destroy itself and each other and you know right in there you have this pocket of like he can't do shit 
you see him in there. He's not running shit when he's in there. The whole town, everybody's afraid of him, except for when he goes in, <laughs> into the whorehouse, you know? Where um, he has IOUs out and because he, he can't ever pay for no, any of man, that. He gets humiliated. And when you see the women, uh, I think there's one part where Lorna like pulls their breasts out just to fuck with him. Um, yeah. There's also the part where she's going through his pockets. He's all like, <laughs> and she pulled out a nickel or whatever. I mean, he's got he's got nothing. He's completely- two bits. Yeah, and and even when the um the the preacher comes up in there, which y'all were talking about, you know, he is he's dusted too. It's like fuck out of here, and because, because women are terrifying. Yeah, and and it, you know the same thing with <laughs> the same thing with the farm though, man. So we have to beat them. Who's running the Who's really running the farm? It's not the old man. Nope. It's definitely not um, Sydney. It's his wife that runs that place, you right. know. And I Absolutely. and I think that's what. What, you know, the reason why he doesn't respect her and he treats her like garbage and beats her up, there's a lot of reasons why. But one of them is because he sees her as part of the machinery. You know, he sees her as like a, a functional thing. He doesn't see her as sexual the way he sees these other women. But I think at the same time, Calif, what he's attracted to is the fact that she's running things. Well, she's a very strong character other yeah. than the fact that, that you know, Sydney shows up and constantly tries to have his way with her but she won't allow that to happen yeah and when the women are outside i mean think about her in the water in that one part think about the part where uh, the other one's in the shower when i think about this movie it just like with all the other russ myers i really think about the woman being front and center in it, and that's just but that's what i'm bringing in you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, because the story to me is all about how these guys just you know the the repression is just like it's it's rampant, rampant, rampant. They really don't know what the fuck to do, and so, you know, that's why the alliance happens with the preacher and the guy, the asshole, uh, the whole town. Really, to me, the the women are the center of the movie for me. No, I, not, the, I can, not the men. I, well, I can totally see. I can see what you mean. Men are off like breaking shit and doing stupid shit, while women are the backbone and running everything. But I think it was just the predominance of the men in the film. And, you know, I, but completely different perspectives as well. And I'm just looking at these guys like, what a bunch of fucking shitheads. You know, <laughs> just the whole thing making trouble where they don't need to and causing problems and everybody else having to put up with their shit and clean up after them. And, like, well, they're definitely they're, aggressors. Like, yeah. The vast majority well, they're just a bunch of fucking monkey idiots. My God, it's just violence. And like Andrew said, the repressive sex and the troubles that that causes and all that kind of shit in this, you know, and that you're in the South and all that. I mean, I grew up in the Bible Belt, so I I understand all that. But yeah, I guess like I like you said, Andrew, I haven't watched these in order, and the ones that you know, I've gone from like Beyond the Valley of the Ultra of the Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, I think was one of the first Russ Myers I watched to like you know Ultra Vixens and Super Vixens, you know, just just all the ones and Faster Pussycat, of course. So I'm used to seeing women running the show in a more obvious manner, mm-hmm. and so this was this was subtle, more subtle for a Russ Meyer movie, despite being a Southern Gothic melodrama. There's not there's not a Varla in this. However, you do have, like Andrew was pointing out, Clarabelle, played by Lorna Maitland, who basically is trying to seduce Khalif when she's in the water and she's swimming around. And she is, she's free as a bird. She's doing her thing. She has no masters other than, you know, her mom or whatever. But they are they 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 definitely have their own thing going on. And and uh she's you know, she's making him uncomfortable and it doesn't bother her one tiny bit. She's shameless, so that's mm. awesome, you right. know. And she dispenses some of the wisdom. 
But what, who was the other one that did? The guy that really summed up every single theme in the film was the weirdo in the tree. Oh, the guy with the lazy eye that ends up yeah. shooting the sheriff at the end? The, yeah, exactly. And it's who's he yelling at? Sydney and Cindy's threatening him to knock him out of the tree. And so it's the fool or the idiot telling the truth, right? And right. so I thought that that was kind of cool. And he basically just summed up every single theme and every single problem in the town yelling at Sydney. And so I thought that that... I thought that that was interesting. Not that that has anything to do with the women in it. I loved, I thought the, the madam was great. I thought she that is she, the funniest character. But, well, and she movie. was, she didn't, she did like Andrew said, she didn't let anybody fuck with her. If Sydney comes in there and she's just like, get your fucking ass out of here. And yet Claire Bell picks him up and starts shaking through his pockets to try to take whatever <laughs> money he has. And so, yeah, they do, they run their shit. And if anybody comes up and fucks with them, it's that, but it just seemed like, there was more time spent on screen dealing with men shit. Maybe that's where I'm coming from on mm -hmm. that. So I just think there was more time spent on the men than there was on the women. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but that's what, that's what I gleaned from it. It's definitely a male oriented film. Like the vast yeah. majority of this. I mean, the men have the vast majority of the screen time because Hal Hopper, Oh, this yeah. is basically a centerpiece for him. He tore up like, this screen and every other screen and a couple ones down the street. He was tearing it up. There was He was just such a dominant force in this film and on the screen so much. Or you were waiting for him to come on screen. And so it's like when you're with an abusive or crazy person and you keep just like waiting, you're just like always on edge waiting for them to come in and pull their shit. Because <laughs> you, you don't know if they're going to be nice or come in, you know, with a bottle of corn squeezins and... um throw sand in your face and, and sucker punch you, you know? Right, right. So, or, you know, you know, come in and do like what he ended up doing to the, to the preacher's wife. <sighs> was that the preacher's wife? Is that what she was? Yeah. Okay. So, so the movie, as it goes along, Hal Hopper ends up finding out that Stuart Lancaster or loot and Caliph loot had left all the money in a desperate ploy to Caliph so that Sydney could not get any of the money. Cause through the most most of the movie, Loot is like holding his heart. Like his he's gonna have a heart attack at any point. His his heart's just waiting to burst. So that's why Sydney's so anxious for him to go so he can get the money the small amount of money, I'm sure. <laughs> That was there, which probably was like two hundred dollars. Yeah, but this was during the depression, right? This was set during the depression, and so I think that's one of the reasons that Caliph is wandering. I've just taught of mice and men, so this kind of resonated with me too. Totally. But yeah, I think I did two hundred dollars in the depression would have bought you know half of a fucking farm. Yeah, this so, is back when like botulism was salad dressing. Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. But this is also when there were millions of men roaming the country without jobs. And so the fact that these women were running a whorehouse and doing well with it was, yeah, that would probably make some of the people in town kind of crazy and jealous of how they live because people were fucking starving. They, they, they seemed to be okay. You know, they had their homebrew. They were probably, <laughs> so they were probably bootlegging too. You yeah. Know? Oh, of so course. if they had liquor and sex for sale, they're probably going to be doing okay, at least better than like people who were traveling from Oklahoma to, you know, Northern California going 10 miles per hour down the road in the family vehicle with everybody attached to it. You know, well, it definitely was telling right away in the, the beginning of the movie when Caliph walks up and meets Maggie, the, the madam. And she gets, she is just such a, like a strong presence. She goes right up into his face and the camera is right up on her toothless face. Yeah. Like immediately. And she is just chewing up as much screen as Hal mm -hmm. Hopper is at yeah. any point in this movie. And he, you know, she's trying to sell him on, on the sex with the girls and, and then with the grain alcohol and all this stuff. He's like, 
well, isn't that illegal? She goes, ah, we don't quite care about that out here, which is so telling about the entire area. It's just like this lawless land where Hellhopper can terrorize a town and the sheriff doesn't quite run anything mm-hmm. in this entire well, place. during that time and i mean in the deep south like that it's already kind of post-apocalyptic or whatever and then you throw the depression on top of that yeah it was a it was a pretty lawless time when you think about all the lynchings that were occurring i mean they fucking lynch um sydney at the end you know and the sheriff literally can do nothing about it so i thought it was a pretty interesting repre- representation of, of of life during the depression with you know throwing in the the Russ Meyer touch and whatnot, but it was desperate times. And so, yeah, they could, they could have somebody like Sydney running around wreaking havoc and have no recourse, but they finally do in the end. And the pastor turns against him because he kills his wife. And so of course he goes from being a, you know, the chosen brother to being child of Satan. That was, that was a really gratifying scene. That was one of the most gratifying scenes I think in film and films that I have probably ever watched. Definitely. Well, he definitely earned his comeuppance. Yeah, he did. He did. And they did it well. And then they and then they stopped and ended the movie as opposed to like Big Shim when they should have stopped in She-Mob. Yeah, didn't linger around. Right. Now, or that weird scene at the end of um, Black Boots Whip of Leather when she walks off and you're like, ends, <laughs> but then instead Franco decided to go to the reed and the water and then end it. So, yeah, I, I appreciate a strong ending. I really yeah. do. It doesn't, have to, it doesn't have to be happy, but it needs to be strong. Oh, my gosh. And again, toward the end of this movie, like the last one we talked about, Vixen, this movie gets super dark. Mm-hmm. It does. It gets super duper dark. And it wasn't a light movie to begin with. I mean, this is a no. movie about domestic abuse and alcoholism and poverty and conspiracy to commit murder and, you know, uh, just all kinds of crazy shit. And, you know, horrid and, and, and just the guy terrorizing the town. So it's not a light film. No. But... You know, but but the ending was fitting for it for what for what was going on because all through the whole thing we're in the room like just fucking set him on fire, build a tiger pit with sharpened bamboo sticks, let him fall in it, and then pour kerosene on him and set him on fire. Which is funny because it was fitting for the ending because what does he do when he finds out he's not gonna get the farm like a fucking Kyle punching walls? I'll just go burn <laughs> the whole thing down. I'm a white guy. And I'm mad. I'm going to go burn the whole shit down if I don't get to have it. Nobody else does. He doesn't just go off the deep end. He goes, he leaps off the deep end with fucking dynamite between his teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how about that funeral scene, man? Oh, my God. That was awesome. <laughs> that reminded me of the the uh, Laura Palmer's oh, funeral in Twin Peaks. <laughs> I bet you David Lynch had seen this. Oh my god! Oh, that is one of the best scenes ever. When Sydney falls down in uh, Lute's grave and just totally shits his pants with fear. Well, because the coffin turns over on him and flips Lute onto him, and he's all here. Yeah, that was funny. Oh man, that was funny. The guy that's terrorizing the town falls in the grave and runs away in fear, and every time he gets humiliated, he gets more angry. Well, that's what happened. He that happened, and then that's when he flipped, right? Was it that mm-hmm. then that he flipped and he went and he thought that he was killing his wife when he was killing the preacher's wife? Is that when that right. happened? Okay, right. okay. So that was the final thing that struck him to be murderous and lose his mind thinking he was killing his wife. Okay, okay, interesting. Andrew, I know most of you know the, the stuff that I traditionally love of uh, Russ Meyer's movies is the light, bubbly, fun, you know, and by, girl by power, light, kick ass. By light, by light and bubbly, he means boobs. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, no. No. To, why are you? Not, why are you pigeonholing to, me here, Paul? Just, pigeonholing you. I know you, Derek. We've met. <laughs> and you like if you go back over the last I don't know twenty seven episodes of this podcast that we've done, just go to a Diane Thorne one and listen to Derek <laughs> talk. Is that why you like my movies, homie? No. I, well, yes, yes well, it well, is. Well, well, why am I being attacked here, Paul? You're. Oh my God. Okay, my guy, calm question. down. <laughs> it's not an attack. It's a conversation, for fuck's sake. No, it's. There's nothing I can do. I mean, they are all over the place in my stuff. It, it's not something I'm into. It's just. It's my life. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Give me a second here. Well, yes, the boobs are the boobs are nice in Russ Meyer's movies, but that's not why I like Russ Meyer's movies. Okay. <laughs> so you're talking about like that you were expecting what from this versus Okay. So okay. So what I really love about Russ Meyer's movies is Faster Pussycat Kill Kill was the first movie I ever saw of his movies. And what struck me about that movie was the editing and cinematography and the music of that movie. How it was constructed was so hip and so jovial, and it had just this sense of glee to it. Even if there was aggression going on and people, you know, there was darkness, there was such a glee going on through the entire movie that I felt it was easy for me to watch. That's yeah. when I think of Russ Meyer and I think of the stuff that I really, really dig of his in the beginning of this movie almost feels that even though it's it's dark, it still has that really poppy kind of quick editing and um, really forced perspective uh, cinematography and the music. It's all it just marries together. Then this movie turns into something much darker. That's when I speak about the Russ Meyer that I love and the fluffy kind of poppy that's what I mean. Uh-huh. It's not. It's not just the boobs. Of course, I like boobs. <laughs> okay, okay. You we do. Know, we've established that, Paula. <laughs> but that's not what I mean when I mean no, fluffy, I, light, kind of poppy, Russ yeah. Meyer. I know what you mean. I get it. Well, it's um, it's hard for me with my favorite filmmakers to just like you know uh, imagine or see the films from a perspective of someone who just kind of walks into one of them. Um, because I tend to think of of, of the the whole progress of it, sure. and with Russ Meyer, you think about you know his how like um, cheesecakey his early stuff was because he came from you know pinup photography and all of that, and a lot of that was Eve running the show. Um, but he didn't want to be pigeonholed as doing like nudie movies, just mostly because a lot of places wouldn't show that shit, mm-hmm. you know. And so he tried to incorporate other things people like, you know, make them pulpy, make them violent, you know, do, you know, trying to step things up in terms of drama so he can, you know, maybe get, make some money off this stuff. Sure, sure, and be sure, sure. It's a little bit more legitimate, but no matter what the fuck he did, it was just not working out for him, you know? And eventually he just was like, screw it. You know, you can watch the way the movies, he just went bananas. Mm-hmm. After a while, mm-hmm. he stopped. He he was like, I'm sick of being banned. I'm sick of being discriminated against. I'm sick of being pigeonholed. I'm sick of the bad reviews. I mean, if you look at um, Mud Honey, he is fucking with the people that came to his movies just to see titties. 
and he is fucking with the people that um, thought all he made was smut. Those are characters in the movie itself. I find mm-hmm. it fascinating for that reason. Um, but, you know, as, t- as those movies went, I think ah, probably Faster Pussycat was the end of that because that's still the movie gave him trouble. And so finally he was like, you know what? Fuck it, man. I'm just making sex movies. And even yet still, because he didn't want to do hardcore, it still did not work out for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting career to look at. But I, I, w- I want you guys to see Lorna if you get it time to. Um, because to me, to me, it's a companion to to um, to this movie in a lot of ways. The same way that Motorcycle and Fasted Pussycat are, in some ways, this like the same movie. Yeah, you know? true. Um, so I, I feel like yeah, if you may, if you think about it, I think you may like Lorna a little bit more for different reasons. Lorna's going to be the movie Derek you were looking for. I think. <laughs> I I thought this was a top notch film. I really yeah. did. I thought that this was tightly made well acted i thought the story was spectacular like you said within the movie themselves there were the embodiments the character embodiments of the various different vices and whatnot i of course i always love a creepy religious aspect and i I thought that the social observations that he was making were profound and i just also thought it was entertaining as fuck it's one of those that like just pulled me by the nose and i kept wanting to know what was going to happen next so i thought it was a really well done film better better than say like Super Vixens, which is a whole lot of fun to watch, but it lags in some places. And of course, there's not that consistent, like, like, you know, like you were saying that uh, Uncle Lute and Khalif actually formed like a, like a bond and a relationship. And you could actually like have some emotional attachment to some of these characters that's, you know, whether you hated them, like uh, Hal Hopper's character, Sydney, or you felt for them like Uncle Lute or whatever, there was a, there was a much more emotional engagement in this one than a lot of his other movies, I think. And maybe that's what makes it harder to watch because there's a lot more to process. And it isn't just what the stuff that's just like flying over your head. And oh, my God, this is badass. But there was some actual emotional depth to this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much different. Oh, it's that's- much more challenging to your brain when you're watching it. But it was good. I thought it was really good. I, but like I'm a Southern Gothic fiend. I will read Faulkner, Flannery O'Connor, Truman Capote. Like I love all that shit. Tennessee Williams, I'll just eat it up with a spoon. And so this was right up my alley as far as doing like, you know, Southern Gothic exploitation or exploitation. I thought it was fun. Thought it was a well done one. Awesome. Now, last thing before we get to the Jackalmans and the ratings and stuff like that, Andrew, I got a quick ask because you seem to be. We'll we'll label you the Russ Meyer historian here. On oh yeah. <laughs> you you definitely know more than the rest of us about this. Well, he's one of my favorites. You know, I've made movies that are like my my movie Barbara is basically like a feminist version of Lorna. So. Uh, it's on the underground cinema, the one where D plays with her boobs. Yep. It's black and white. Um, after you watch Lorna, you'll like get a kick out of because that was us kind of redoing that story. Cool. That's awesome. Check it out. That's one of my that's one of my favorite ones of yours. Thanks, homie. Um, but <laughs> what I wanted what I wanted to ask was um, I had read somewhere that Russ Meyer wasn't necessarily happy with the reception of this movie because it didn't do very well, and he ultimately then ended up kind of claiming that he regretted making this movie and he only really made it because he was in love with Rena Horton. <laughs> Rena Horton. Uh, Rena, that was a, well, his marriage had just broken up right with Eve and Eve was his producer. It was his partner. Eve had a, I mean, he still up until the time Eve died, she was still making movies with him. You know, she was killed. Yeah. In a, oh, it wasn't actually a plane crash. Like people normally think, I think it was like a, I don't know. You'll have to look it up, but it's something happened with a couple of planes colliding still at the airport, I think, or something like that. A lot of people died 
and she was one of them. She's from Georgia, actually, uh, Eve Meyer. But he started seeing um, uh, what's her name, Rena. It was they, they were just briefly together, um, and her English was so horrible. That's why she doesn't. She talk doesn't talk at all in this like, movie. She had this huge, like, like mm. thick ass German accent, which wouldn't have. Uh, <laughs> that's not southern at all. I was wondering what was going on there. Yeah, no, they, okay. but but it still was made for a fascinating character because then she, she was great. Kind of, she, she was great. Totally. She, yeah, she's kind of childlike in a way. Like, you know what I mean? Um, and a great contrast to the other. You see what I mean? Like, for me, the women are super interesting in that in that movie. But no, Russ would tend to measure not his, his success, uh, not as whether or not the film was what he wanted, but it was like, and you see filmmakers do this today. Like, if, if it didn't jump off, it did, didn't get the good reviews, didn't make the money, that equals bad movie, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And, uh, Lorna Maitland also was a, a pain in the ass, I think. Um, on top of all that, that was the last movie they did together. He was super frustrated around that time and angry, too. And so you combine like all that with the fact that he just could not get a break as an artist. They didn't know what to do with him, you know? Yeah. Uh, there was no, it's amazing he made the amount of movies that he did and that they all are so great and still i don't think in the united states people even know how to contextualize it because they see the the women in it and they automatically go um this is like for male gaze and whatnot but if you right. think about the point of view uh that the nudity is shot from in in a movie like like uh, mud honey i mean think about that that's not like the men looking at the women i don't think at all i mean what do you think there, Not there's that that's a at few... all what you asked me, but I'm well, no, 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 no. That's a good question because there was there was a few shots in this movie that definitely could have been taken as perspective of a of a man trying to highlight certain attributes of a woman. When I say that, um, there's a scene where Sydney is over at the preacher's house and the preacher's wife is hanging out on the porch talking to him, and we occasionally get over the shoulder shots of the preacher's wife's breasts while Sydney is talking upwards at her, which gives you the idea that maybe the preacher's wife is, you know, flirting with him and trying to accentuate certain aspects of her body while Sydney is, you know, kind of fawning over her during that time. There's there's only a, a few instances in this movie where I, I felt that he was kind of pushing the cinematography more in that direction. Um, or if we weren't going to sexualize her breasts in that scene, he could have just been seen as like an infantile position, you know, where he's all like all up near him being a fucking child. Well, right. Well, and the, th- but the thing is, though, it's not like a traditional over the shoulder shot. Mm-mm. In this shot, because it, it literally is just her breasts hanging out on the right the side of the screen. <laughs> I know the part you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. It, it's like it immediately. I was like, "Oh, this is interesting. What is he trying to do here? This is this is something." But that's the thing about Russ Meyer is that even with these kind of images where you know he's you know been pigeonholed as the is the dude that likes the big boobs and that's all that these movies are there's definitely something that's being spoken towards with a lot yeah. of this stuff it's it's never just surface level crap no when, throughout all of them uh, uh women are uh portrayed as powerful that was what he wanted you know that was that was what he wanted to show and um i think you know regardless of the success or failure of the movies 
you know, as far as production is concerned, whether or not you like the stories, whether or not like the acting, um, there's there's power in all of them. And um, I think it's interesting the way in this particular one that he uh, decided to show that because it was very different from the way he did at other times. But I think it's still very much there because if you took them out, you would have no story whatsoever. Mm hmm. Definitely not as interesting <laughs> of a story, but uh, let's let's go ahead and uh, get to the Jackalmans here on the show. Paula, I think mm-hmm. I have a feeling I know what you're going to say. What what kind of Jackalman action are you giving Mud Honey? Well, it lacks smut, but it's sleazy, and just as a movie, and being a huge Southern Gothic, like whenever I'm sad, I watch True Blood, you know, or um. Rita Flannery O'Connor stories. So I love me some Southern Gothic. And I thought this was a really well-made film. I thought the performances were spectacular. And I would definitely want to watch this again because I think I missed a lot. And it's mm-hmm. one of those movies that actually I think warrants another watch or two. And I would like to take Andrew's comments into consideration and rewatch the thing because I was so overblown. One of the things you're talking about the male gaze. And I thought that there was male gazy on the women. I did, but that's me. I'm a woman, right? But what I thought was really interesting was him turning his gaze onto the men mm-hmm. and showing how absolutely idiotic, barbaric, and stupid that these men could get when there's gossip, when they're looking for a scapegoat, just just the way that the men in the town function fucking everything up. And so for me to see a man actually show that, <laughs> five jackals. I- his commentary on religion, too, I thought was spectacular. So, okay, five, yeah, there you go. Yeah, you definitely flipping the bird at a lot of stuff. Yeah, a lot of yeah, stuff. a lot of stuff I fucking hate. So I thought that was awesome. That's awesome. Well, this is something I think you and I keep coming back to every single episode: is what does this Jackalman scale mean? Like, like we keep talking about, you know, this is a smut podcast, but we are cinema fans. So Mud Hunting doesn't necessarily, while it's made by a filmmaker that has been kind of labeled a smut filmmaker. Well, it's still exploitation. Uh, so that's up. It's definitely yeah. an exploitation film. Yeah, I, I think so. But it's also, I, I, for me is maybe this scale can say that this is just a good movie and we think mm-hmm. you should, you should check this out yeah. as opposed to having to like, well, is this a, a tantalizingly sexy movie? And you need to we see, haven't, we really haven't watched very many tantalizing sexy movies, but this was a, this was a really fucking good movie. High entertainment value. We There were beautiful women, powerful yeah. women, right? But yeah, I, I think that the Jackalmans for me is, would I recommend this to somebody? Would I recommend this to an exploitation or sexploitation fan? And did, did it keep me going from the beginning to the end? Did I enjoy myself? Did I have fun? And yeah, I had a whole lot of fun watching this movie. Yeah, that's awesome. Andrew, what would you give this movie and final thoughts on Mud Honey? Uh, Mud Honey was, I would give it five, of course. This is a fantastic movie. I think it succeeds at everything it set out to do. Um, I also would recommend it to fans of John Waters. I think if you like Edith Massey, you're going to see where some of that came from yeah. uh, with, with the madam in, in this movie. Um, Big time. It yeah. was never one of my super big favorites because I always went like when I started watching, I do love Lorna because it was to me the first really good one, one that had a first real story. Um, but then I kind of skipped over because trying to get to Faster Pussycat, I like stuff about Motor Psycho, but really Faster Pussycat's the the great one of this period. And mm-hmm. so if I was going to watch one of the old ones, I'd usually watch that. However, however, given what is going on in the United States where the religious right has aligned itself with a complete and fucking scumbag, which, yep. would, seem, which yep. would seem illogical for them, 
this movie really goes into uh, kind of why it shows you it shows that happening because it does it shows that mentality was that not Mm -hmm. just insane i was thinking that the whole time yeah it was brilliant it was fucking brilliant it is because at the heart they are both motivated motivated by the exact same type of Mm -hmm. things Yes, and so of course they're going to end up with a, a kinship with each other. Because like, what? Why would he stick up for this piece of shit? Why? Well, it's actually happening now, like yeah. years and years yeah. later. You yep. know, how could they keep defending? I was like, they got fucking this thing. Franklin Graham and Pat fucking Robertson and Trump, dude. That's <laughs> yeah. that no shit. Same fucking so, thing. Paula White. Everybody, this witch is rising up. Yeah, we are. But you know, it's yeah. and and he's being he's being you know challenged by demons and assaulted and all this shit. It's like this is one of the worst motherfuckers who ever fucking walked the face of the earth he's a living embodiment of evil and yes the christian right is cradling him with open arms yeah Yeah. so yeah (laughs) russ meyer he you know his 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 contempt for authority and all of that stuff i mean it's rock solid and it's still there and you don't really have to be looking because everything's on the sleeve on this movie yeah yeah, so it's not like we're looking for things that aren't actually there or, or trying to shoehorn it into our point of view it's just there. So it's yeah. solid commentary, solid satire. It falls into a lot of different cult film subcategories, like we mentioned exploitation earlier. I just I feel like if someone's gonna want to like legitimize their love for Russ Meyer and show that like you know to some film scholar, like, no, 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 wait. This yeah. would be one of the ones that you throw in there to be like, oh, okay. Yeah, you know? I, I agree with you guys. I'm gonna give this one a four. Not um, enough boobs. <laughs> I, oh, Jesus, you killing me tonight, girl. You killing me. <laughs> no, I I do like this movie a lot uh, for all the reasons that you guys had stated. I don't know if I could state them any better. It is definitely a different kind of experience. It is much more of uh, when, like we said, you know. Unfortunately, the stereotype of Russ Meyer is that he is a smut director. That all he was concerned with was showing boobs and women bouncing around and having sex and blah, 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 blah. This is far more of a dark drama than it is anything else with flourishes of some of the more peppy Russ Meyer films mixed in. And it took me off guard. It really took me off guard at first. I wasn't expecting it to be this. It's just a good movie. Solid performances. Amazing performances all around in this movie so you guys should check this out the next movie we have on the docket for russ meyer isn't for a little while and we're going to be watching up next oh my gosh that is the next one <laughs> i, I haven't watching. seen that one either so he so. was so he was so in the th- he got early onset dementia that movie is a cartoon made by a man who lost his mind Wow. I can't wait. A, I can't wait. You guys are skipping like super vixens and think, beyond the well, valley of the dolls and going straight to. <laughs> we asked we asked for recommendations within our Patreon group, and these were the ones that were that were requested. Monday yeah. and um and up. I believe Miss Bone is the one that suggested up. So yeah, okay. Have either of you seen up? I haven't seen no. up. It's fucking bananas. Yeah, I love bananas. Good. I like the sound of that. Bonkers is my jam. So. I like the sound of that. So oh, yeah. we're going to take a quick break here on the podcast. Miss Angelique Bones going to walk us through Bones. some more literary smut on the book club at Orgy Castle. So we'll be right back. Hi, 
and welcome back to Book Club at Orgy Castle. I'm your host, Angelique. Glad to have you back. Sorry about the little siesta I had to take, but that smutless book really kind of hurt me a little bit. So we're getting a little more smutty today. Should I say a lot more smutty? I don't know. We're uh, diving back into the big Bigfoot erotica bundle by uh, Jacqueline de Cirque, uh, book two, Broken In by the Bigfoot. Now, I don't know if you're noticing a theme. This is, after all, only the second book in the Chronicle, but Broken In is the whole thing, and this trilogy revolves around the protagonists being virgins. So, here we have Macy. She's a wildlife photographer, and she's trying to get some shots of a mountain lion in a national park Uh to give to her editor because she really needs a big break because things haven't been going so great for Macy. Um, the ranger warns her, you know, don't be in the park after dark because not only have there been reports of the mountain lions, but also a mysterious creature that's been described as a gorilla or a bear or something weird. You know, but the one thing that these stories have in common in the encounters that the creature gives off a very distinct odor. Mm. So Macy, of course, she's a rebel, so she's not going to follow the rules, and she stays out after dark in the national park. What does she encounter? A mountain lion. She starts taking pictures, and then all of a sudden, the mountain lion gets mauled by some big hairy thing. It's a Sam Scranch! <laughs> it's a Bigfoot. It chases her, and she makes it to her car and she stops running chick there's a bigfoot after you go but no she stops and decides she's gonna spend the night in her car well something wakes her up what is it oh i don't know a giant sexy dream about bigfoot ugh gross okay just gross but anyway <laughs> She wakes up from her sexy dream about Bigfoot and she's, you know, flooded her basement uh, as the, you know, common parlance. And then Bigfoot's there at the car and it rips the car door off and it kidnaps her. And she is getting, you know, enraptured by his musk <laughs> and passes out. She comes to in a cave and apparently Bigfoot has learned how to start fires in this story. I'm guessing, you know, he's a hominid. Uh, I'm supposing that Bigfoot would have enough intelligence to start a fire in a cave and to know that it needs to be stoked. But, I mean, they're suspending your disbelief and then they're suspending your disbelief, okay? Mine, I don't know if I make it. I don't know. <sighs> but... Macy keeps becoming, you know, more and more aroused because not only is she smelling the musk, but she's seeing his wangdoodle hanging out. And apparently Bigfoot's wiener is impressive. But, I mean, if you're talking proportion, average, I guess, I don't know. It's, here I am judging the size of Bigfoot's wiener. What does that say about me as a person? <sighs> anyway. So the inevitable happens. She gets so caught up in it, she decides that she's got to, you know, taste Bigfoot's wiener. And she does, and then, of course, you know, it proceeds, and 
<sighs> she has sex with the Bigfoot. The Bigfoot takes her virginity, which I'm like, ow. You know, I don't want to have to get my visual aids out or anything, but I will if I have to. Promise you that. <sighs> and, you know, Bigfoot has her every which way but loose. And she passes out when he decides to, uh, you know, ring the back doorbell. She comes to in her car again and she's like, was it a dream? And then she realizes that she's still covered in, in, in Bigfoot cum. Blech. Well, then the ranger knocks on her window to make sure she's okay. And he's like, did you encounter any strange creatures? And she's like, no. <laughs> what? No. I slept in my car. Well, she gets back home with her camera and she takes the memory card out and she loads it up. There are pictures of her in flagrante de Bigfoot. And she didn't take them. They were taken from outside the cave. So Ranger's got some kind of Bigfoot sex ring scandal thing going. He's getting his jollies watching other people get it on with a Sam's Crunch. That's not cool. Not cool. But she saves the pictures and of course she plans to go back to um, visit Bigfoot. <laughs> Anyway, this one was not so much fun as it just was, you know, dirty. So give it a whirl. You know, the trilogy's on uh, Amazon Kindle for, I think it was $2.99. It's probably gone down in price, but maybe, you know, whatever. Or you can just listen to me talk about it. <laughs> anyway, until next time, this has been Book Club at Orgy Castle. Bye! <laughs>so folks as we said it's not going to be until episode 35 that we come back to russ meyer so andrew as always this is your second time on the podcast thank you for thank coming you by. thank you so much oh hey man i i appreciate being invited and you guys are great conversation i really i just am more compelled to sit here every time i hear my name i'm like no because <laughs> i really <laughs> i really want to you know I, I already know what i think about this shit so i'm yeah but to... we want your knowledge like i don't know like i came into this completely cold not knowing much and listening to your analysis because i'm an english teacher and i love this kind of stuff you know i'm always even the russ meyer movie i'm looking and doing my english teacher crap and oh that's great. and so yeah and so so listening to getting you to give me information that i feel like i need to fully appreciate and understand what i'm watching and and absorbing because i'm a nerdy girl means the world to me so i really enjoy your knowledge on this because i love russ meyer but i don't know enough about him so i really appreciate it so thank you Oh, thanks. Well, you know, he's kind of in my heart a little bit and definitely an, uh, an inspiration in a lot of ways. Russ and I could not be different as people. <laughs> could right, not be right. more different as people. But uh, as far as artistically, I, I um, not only do I really like his stuff, but when I show oh. it to my friends who are all, you know, feminist and, you know, all involved in, um, you know, definitely what would be considered like, you know, almost confrontational art. Uh, yeah, yay. body positivity and and all of that stuff and take no shit type of stuff they absolutely love it Good. They absolutely love it it's hard it's hard not to because it is thoughtful cinema that's what i respond to with russ meyer is i i mostly come at this podcast in especially russ meyer from the perspective of the craft of the movies like his, what i respond to is the energy 
Well, and you're an editor too, man. I mean, his editing is second to none, right? In oh, terms the, of absolutely the, the first five minutes in this, the way that they did the exposition with the editing and the just following his footsteps from the whorehouse to his own house, that was brilliant. It was fucking brilliant. That his car, brilliant. It's, it was brilliant storytelling. Yeah, he's so. ramming the house with his car. It's like yeah. It, it all makes sense with the character in the story. It all has a point. You, no words, you know, we know everything every, we need to know. Yeah, you know everything you need to know about these two characters. You don't see their face. All you see are their feet. That was genius. For like so, five that was minutes so in this movie. It's a lot of feet in this movie. It's I lo- unbelievable. I, yeah, I love the beginning and the end of that film. That doesn't happen very often. I loved everything in between, too. But it was good. <laughs> it was tight. But that opening scene, that exposition with zero, almost like zero words other than just like music playing or you hearing the madam blabbing. And but that was that was brilliant. I thought that was one of a brilliant, brilliant opening. It, it wasn't, is art. Yeah. That the beginning of this movie literally should be shown in every film class to how you establish tone and characters in a movie without showing a single person or a screen yeah. crawl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So amazing. So amazing. So yeah. anyways, Good. can't wait to see you guys again on here for another Russ Meyer movie. It's not yeah. going to be for a little while, but we'll be back with up uh, Andrew. I know I just purchased a new movie that you released. Would you like to talk about this new movie you just put out on DVD to my listeners? Oh, that thank, they can buy? Man. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, the, uh, you know, we're, we're making movies here all the time in Athens. Gonzerific is constantly working on films uh, for our yearly show. I always describe it as we're, we're more like a band that plays one, plays out once a year and we spend the whole time working on the record. And so um, our, our latest release is called Hot Mike, and it's a little bit different than f- the stuff people are used to from us. It's things that are didn't quite fit in any of our other features that we've released, any of the other collections. Um, they are all, for the most part, like non-horror titles. Um, there are comedies, sex comedies, with some drama in there. Uh, people that like Russ Meyer will probably enjoy some of the things that we've done in this movie. We, one of them has a... a, a pool of jello with women in inside bikinis in it um but there's also like a ghost <laughs> i mean there's just like a lot of a lot of stuff in there and so uh phone sex is in there uh, <laughs> and if you like cleavage deflowered is the host so that's you know <laughs> write that down Derek. <laughs> oh i follow d deflowered on all the social all right. media so you all don't right. know that's very hip on the deflower yeah she's right. a boob scientist for sure um, <laughs> But anyway, yeah, gonzerific.com. If you, basically, when you buy a movie from us, you're helping us make the other movies because all the all the money goes straight into the other ones. Right now, we're shooting one called Supermoon, which is a werewolf movie, but it's not. Uh, you'll see. <laughs> and then we're going to be doing later this year uh, uh, the next Bad Girl Dracula. Nice. Nice. Very awesome. Cool. So gonzerific.com, podcast at Orgy Castle. Listeners, go there right now. Hand over... Your hard-earned money to Mr. Andrew Shearer. Do it. Do it. He deserves it. So, as always, Mistress Paula, mm. parting final words for the listeners. Hey, you know that end scene where Eula is, she's sitting there playing with her kitten, and they're lynching Sydney, who apparently she has a thing for, right? You know that scene in between where she drops her kitten, and then she starts running, and she's running down the street towards Sydney with her dress open? So will you put that on a loop for me for like an hour and a half? Because you know what I want to be when I grow up? Mm. A boob scientist. Satan is the name she goes by. 
Can't tell. Oh, lover. 